Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Harry Robertson from the Opinion and Analysis Desk. After Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, the West, led by the US, imposed sanctions to isolate the country economically and punish it for its actions. But, says Henry Foy, Russia's energy ties with the EU remain strong, and Moscow has pivoted towards China and Saudi Arabia, focusing on the arms trade. Why has rhetoric not matched reality? It fires missiles that travel at 2 kilometers per second and can hit targets flying twice as fast. It can target 80 different enemy aircraft, drones and cruise missiles at the same time from 400 kilometers away and spot stealth warplanes that previously evaded detection. But arguably the most dangerous aspect of Russia's S-400 Triumph missile defense system is the damage it has inflicted on the clout of Washington's anti-Moscow sanctions program and concerted efforts by the US to isolate Russia from the rest of the world. Despite sweeping sanctions against Russia's defense industry to shut down its lucrative exports and to ban on other countries buying the S-400 specifically, Russia is doing a roaring trade in what most experts consider the world's most advanced air defense system. Over the past year, Turkey and India have signed deals to buy S-400s, China has received its first deliveries, and Saudi Arabia, Qatar and Iraq have begun negotiations over deals to acquire the sanctioned systems. If the West sanctions regime, first introduced in March 2014, was designed to cut off Moscow from the rest of the world and isolate its critical industries, the truck-mounted missile launchers are a $400 million a piece example of how that effort has failed. Andrei Frolov, editor-in-chief of Russia's arms export journal, says, There is no question about the isolation of Russia. Nobody is even talking about it. He adds, There are major breakthroughs thanks to China and India. The message is that Russia is still open for business. Since 2014 and Russia's annexation of Crimea, a sanctions regime led by the US and supported by the UK, EU and other Western allies has sought to isolate Moscow by curbing its access to external finance, trade and diplomatic support in an effort to force a change in political approach from President Vladimir Putin's administration. Initially targeting Russian politicians, the country's vast energy sector and military-industrial complex, the sanctions have become ever more targeted against individuals and businesses. Allegations against Moscow of meddling in the 2016 US election, allowing the use of chemical weapons in Syria, and carrying out the attempted murder of former spy Sergei Skripal in the UK this spring have resulted in harsher restrictions. But if the measures were designed to make Moscow an international pariah, friendless and toxic, they are falling short of achieving their goal. An ever closer friendship with China has provided Moscow with international finance, new trade opportunities and diplomatic heft. Moscow has also deepened its ties with a host of countries in the Middle East, from Turkey to Israel, Saudi Arabia to Iran, expanding its influence in the region at a time of American hesitation. 
At the same time, a steady stream of EU leaders visiting the Kremlin, foreign direct investment from European corporates, and continued demand for Russia's oil and gas exports belie the rhetoric of belligerence from Brussels. Andrei Bistritsky, chairman of the Valdai Discussion Club, a Russian think tank, says, Isolation is impossible, that is clear. It was possible 30 years ago in the Soviet times. Then there were just two blocks. But now there are so many options. When it comes to Russian isolation, reality has not matched rhetoric. While major defense deals like the S-400 agreements have drawn the ire of Washington, all of the EU's biggest economies have quietly continued to do business with their eastern neighbor. Berlin, a key supporter of sanctions related to the annexation of Crimea, steadfastly supports Nord Stream 2, a Russian gas pipeline being laid under the Baltic Sea that opponents say will only increase Moscow's influence over Europe's energy supply. French President Emmanuel Macron was Mr. Putin's special guest at the annual St. Petersburg Economic Forum earlier this year, telling his host, Dear Vladimir, let us play a cooperative game. Total, the French energy group, bought a 10% stake in Russia's $25.5 billion Arctic LNG2 project soon after, and last month opened a new oil blending plant close to Moscow. The UK is one of the most hawkish towards Moscow, but British energy group BP is one of Russia's biggest foreign investors through its 19.75% stake in Rosneft, the Kremlin-controlled oil company subject to sanctions. A senior executive at a major international energy company says, Look at Total, piling in as much as it can. Look at BP. You cannot isolate a country as big and as important as Russia. It was never going to work. At a conference in Verona last month, Italy's Deputy Prime Minister Matteo Salvini told Russian delegates they were, quote, peacemakers, and urged Italian companies to find ways around EU sanctions. He said, In 2018, we do not need sanctions. We do not need troops. We need dialogue. We need friendship. I want to thank Italian businessmen for resisting, for taking up the initiative with this. Western diplomats in Moscow privately admit that the sanctions have failed to achieve the impact many of their governments had desired. Some blame the staggered implementation that has largely allowed Russia's $1.6 trillion economy to slowly adjust. Others argue that the recovery in oil and commodity prices since 2016 has provided the Kremlin with enough cash to offset the impact. But others claim that many countries have lacked the resolve to follow through with the measures, fearing damage to their own companies. Germany's Daimler is building a factory close to Moscow that will start producing Mercedes-Benz E-Class sedans early next year. U.S. aerospace giant Boeing opened a production plant in central Russia this summer to manufacture titanium components. Europe is buying more gas from Russia than at any time in history. All the activity suggests that for company executives, Russia is too large and lucrative to let politics get in the way. Bob Dudley, BP's chief executive, said at the Verona conference, There is something vitally important in the role of businessmen and policymakers continuing a dialogue. He added, More and more there is a great importance that business plays in bringing the world closer. There are a lot of forces trying to push us apart. Since sanctions were first imposed on Rosneft in 2014, BP's stake in the company has earned 90.7 billion rubles, $1.3 billion, in dividends, according to information on the Russian company's website. Mr. Dudley said, It is very difficult to remain in business for a long time by taking sides. We try to build bridges. 
Compared to 2014, Rosneft has doubled the amount of oil it produces from joint projects with foreign companies to 1.4 million barrels a day, thanks to partnerships with Norwegian, Vietnamese and Indian groups. Rosneft's chief executive Igor Sechin, who is banned from entering the US, said in Verona, I am convinced that the mutually beneficial win-win ties will continue to develop, while any further escalation of sanctions will ironically set limits for the US themselves. The Kremlin has pushed heavily the line that Washington's use of international sanctions against Moscow will only force third countries to distance themselves from the US. One Asian diplomat in Moscow, who declined to be named, says, It is pretty clear from where we sit that by trying to isolate Russia, America is doing a good job of isolating itself. Even the Europeans are developing their own independent Russia policy. As Western sanctions sought to close off Mr. Putin's diplomatic options, he struck out aggressively in new directions. Moscow's 2015 intervention in Syria to swing the war in favour of Bashar al-Assad's regime, alongside a strengthened trade and diplomatic outreach to Turkey, and a warming of historical ties to Israel and Iran, has made Mr. Putin a power broker in the Middle East. But it is Russia's relationships with China and Saudi Arabia that have seen the most dramatic and effective changes in the sanctions era. Built on Mr. Putin's personal friendships with China's President Xi Jinping and Saudi's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, Russia has lent on Riyadh and Beijing for more than just S-400 sales. Boosted by new oil supply deals, agriculture and defence shipments, trade with China accounted for 15.5% of Russia's total turnover last year, up from 10.6% in 2013. At the same time, the EU's share has fallen from 49.6% to 43.8%. In September, Mr. Xi visited Mr. Putin in the Russian city of Vladivostok and over shots of vodka, caviar and handmade pancakes, toasted a friendship that they said would stand against US protectionism. As the two leaders talked, their armies took part in joint military exercises involving 300,000 troops, the largest in Russia since 1981. With Saudi Arabia too, the S-400 deal has come as part of a wider diplomatic and trade push. Moscow and Riyadh joined forces in 2016 to regulate oil production and drive up crude prices. Saudi Aramco, the kingdom's state oil producer, is keen to follow Total's lead and buy a 30% stake in the same gas project, and is also in talks to set up a petrochemicals plant with Russian company Sibur. When Western governments and executives boycotted a conference in Riyadh last month over the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, Russia publicly backed Prince Mohammed, and sent a large delegation to the event. It was rewarded with a deal for the Kingdom's Sovereign Wealth Fund to join a joint Russia-China development fund. Some analysts see Russia's new friendships as window dressing, and question whether they are the result of long-term strategy, or a desperate rush by the Kremlin to show the West that it still has friends. One Western diplomat in Moscow says historical distrust between Russia and China would mean the countries could never build a full geopolitical alliance. But, he says... It is an easy way for both of them to gain some small advantages from each other and have a pop at the US. Arkady Dvorkovich, Russia's deputy prime minister until May this year, when asked about Moscow's relationship with China, says, It is a bit of both, pragmatism and strategy. He adds, It obviously makes sense at the moment for Russia, given the Western context, but also in a long-term sense, this is a relationship that we want to keep building for the future. They are the world's most important growth market. The pivot away from the West does not sit well with all of Russia's elite. Sanctions are slowly cutting off some of Russia's clique of billionaire oligarchs from access to Western countries and their banks, 
lawyers, schools and hospitals that have become part of their lifestyles. Three sanctioned businessmen have been banned from the elite World Economic Forum in Davos next January. Replacing the cachet and glamour of London is not easy. One sanctioned Russian businessman says, The new partnerships are all well and good, but frankly the elite here are more comfortable in the south of France, not on some island in the South China Sea. He adds, A new world order is obviously better than the current one, but no one here is a big fan of the Chinese life. Regardless of their impact, Western sanctions will probably continue for the medium term, at least. The Democratic Party's victory in the House of Representatives last week has increased the chance of passing draft legislation imposing more restrictions on Russian banks and sovereign debt. Few expect that talks between Mr. Putin and US President Donald Trump in Paris on Sunday and in Buenos Aires at the G20 summit later this month will ease the pressure on Russia. Mr. Bistritsky, the Russian think tank chairman, says, In Soviet times, after a meeting of the two leaders, the situation always got better. Today, it is the opposite. In the next one or two years, the situation will get worse and worse, I think. Washington in September imposed sanctions on China's military for the S-400 purchases, prompting a fierce rebuke from Beijing. It also warned India, Saudi Arabia and Turkey that they too could face consequences for buying the systems. Undeterred, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi welcomed Mr. Putin in New Delhi last month with a hug, and the $5 billion deal was signed. Mr. Putin told a meeting of his Commission on Foreign Arms Sales, We will continue to closely follow the trends of the global arms market and to offer our partners new flexible, convenient forms of cooperation. He added, This is all the more important in the current conditions, when our competitors often result to unscrupulous methods of struggle. They try to crush and blackmail our customers, including through the use of political sanctions. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this Big Read podcast, you can subscribe on all the usual channels. If you're not already an FT subscriber, visit ft.com forward slash offer for our latest subscription offers. This episode was produced by Harry Robertson. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.